1: Trish why am I why am I looking at your hands what's oh. going on
2: <laughs> oh dear let me just uh, let me just adjust the one of my two screens I've gone a bit technical well, that's better week. have you why it's oh, like well, you well it's the laptop I can't I can't see anything on it and I can't be bothered to put my contact lenses in so I've kind of plugged, plugged you into a big um, oh. monitor screen as well as candy my vision one. massive can you see all the wrinkles now i can see everything in close-up and it's 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 10 times more lovely than it normally is can i just say it's not it's just to make (laughs) you feel younger than me isn't it oh i don't know when you saw those hands i'm sure you didn't think that (laughs) Hello. hello welcome to postcards from midlife I'm Trish Halpin and I'm Lorraine
1: Candy and we're on a mission to tackle all the big and small issues that affect women at this stage of our life from insomnia to mind and body wellness, HRT to sex drive, careers and relationships and as always the challenges and joys of parenting teens. In today's episode we're going all the way exploring the ups, downs, sideways and in-betweens of midlife sex.
2: Yes, we have the fabulous Dr. Shazadi Harper joining us to talk about the physical and hormonal issues that can affect our sex lives at this life stage. You may remember Shazadi from series one of the podcast when she came on to talk about HRT, and we promise you she will be equally as helpful and enlightening on this topic too. We're also going to be talking about when we do and don't need to parent our teenage
1: girls and boys differently. There's been a lot of research and debate around this, so we'll be looking at the facts and also talking about our own experiences.
2: First though Lorraine I have a question for you. Do you still wear bikinis on holiday (laughs) or have you reached that more is definitely more point in life? I do still wear bikinis. Ah
1: impressive. Uh, Do you know what a because I've got teenage girls and I think they need to see that you just don't if it doesn't matter what you wear I don't care. Um, I've had four children so it's a bit wrinkly around the middle. (laughs) Um, but I do do a bit of
2: exercise, so I've, I'm not, I'm okay with it. I stopped a few years ago, and I think it was because I needed to buy a new one. I just don't feel comfortable in bikinis anymore. So I kind of bought a bunch of swimsuits instead. And um, I don't know, it's something about. It's not really revealing that much less. It's only the tummy, yeah. really, isn't it? So there's something about it. I don't know. I think it's just having more on display that I just is don't it, feel comfortable. Um, with beach anymore. body ready? Does that? Is that
1: whole tyranny of having but, to look a certain way? Did that get to you?
2: Not at all. I, I sort of, you know, I've said this before, I don't particularly care that much. I do care about how I look, but I'm not that sort of body. I've just got over it. I'm comfortable in my own skin now. That ship has sailed. And, um, you know, like you said, I'm, you know, I'm quite fit. I'm quite healthy.
1: I know. think it's about confidence, isn't it? I mean, a lot of... um Listeners that I asked about it, Work I, we, I had a woman who was in her 60s, a woman in her 70s, saying we always wear bikinis, we always have, we always will. It's not mm-hmm. about the bikini, it's about what you feel mm-hmm. in the bikini. We've kind of been made as women to feel a bit guilty about wearing stuff that shows more of our body as we get older. Do you remember the picture last year of Alexander Shulman, the former editor of Vogue, in her bikini? that caused a bit of a stir, didn't it? Well, it was a story. A Mm. woman in her 50s in a bikini was a story, which is Mm. just ridiculous. I, I mean, I don't know if I'd wear a g-string type bikini oh. or one of those.
2: Oh my god! I love
1: Island. bikinis. Can, can
2: that... I just tell you what I saw on my sailing holiday, which was it kept us entertained for days? These these very we were sailing, and there were these uh, fabulous Dutch people on a boat sailing very a million times better than us. And there was a beautiful girl in a thong thong bottoms, winching in a sail, bending over and winching <laughs> the sail, topless in a thong. That was um, that was a sight to oh behold. My God. <laughs> and then the other one, because I think we can learn a lot from our European friends. Um, there was a boat kind of moored up next to us in a bay, but a little bit away, very discreet. And it was obviously this older couple, probably in their sixties. And the man gave us a bit of a surprise um, in the morning because <laughs> he came out uh, with just a t-shirt on and nothing on underneath. Oh no. <laughs> And Kit said, oh, look at him. He's doing a bit of shirt cocking. And I thought, oh, <laughs> what's
1: shirt teenage cocking. teenage speak,
2: is it, there's for a, something? There's a term for that, wearing a, te- a top cocking. with no bottoms and having all your meat and two veg hanging out. That's like an actual <laughs> verb. It is, shirt cocking. You You're know wearing- what, when men
1: do that, though, it's interesting, isn't it? When men go down on the beach, but they don't think... Should I should I just wear my shorts while well I
2: they have literally no
1: worries whatsoever <laughs> no care, about
2: no nipples,
1: boobage and all of no, that flopping around maybe, everywhere.
2: Maybe about um speedos, you know, those kind of little um what are they called? Budgie smugglers. That's European though, isn't it? That is quite European. Do you want some a list of a bikini yeah, yeah, to have you a could look at? Yeah, if you could advise me, because I think I will I might need to revisit this and shake myself up. Do you want a me to bit? come bikini shopping with you, Trish? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's an online-only situation.
1: So it's worth investing properly. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming from the fashion world, I do, um, because they're structured properly and they stay on and you don't end up showing anything you don't want. Norma Kamali does a very oh, yes. brilliant high-waisted one. Melissa Odebash does a great mm-hmm. one. There's a brand called Peony, which is an Australian brand. The Australians are really good at swimwear. Eres, E-R-E-S, mm. they do some really, they're expensive. Very they luxury, very expensive. Very expensive. Really really lovely cuts yeah. and shapes but I think you, you know don't you want to look great yeah. so you want something that's going to last for quite a long you, you want do want shop for a bikini once
2: in this stage yeah. of your life I find and you're really going to wear it a couple of times a year really aren't you unless you're super spanky going abroad all the time
1: No, oh, you can wear it in Cornwall on the beach and <laughs> oh, yes. staycationing you can wear it in your little cot what you do you know you do your little trips to national trust <laughs> houses you can wear it in the gardens there <laughs> Trish I'd love that at oh, <laughs> And uh, cars does some brilliant ones on the high street as well, actually. So there are some good brands out there. I just think it's worth I think it's worth getting
2: out of your comfort zone okay. sometimes. What's your go-to holiday look? Bepper print. Oh, always. Always everything. It's
1: it's basically Liz Hurley on holiday in Capri. <gasps> That's my mood board
2: oh, yes. for
1: holiday. Well, there you are. We've we've gone through would you wear a bikini or not? I just think everyone should like the Italians, like the Italian nonnas wear when they're on the beach.
2: Now it's time to meet this week's special guest, Dr. Shazadi Harper. Shazadi is a specialist menopause doctor who set up the Harper Clinic to help women optimize their well-being and empower them to feel confident, healthy and sexy. So welcome to Postcards from Midlife. Shazadi. how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you, Lorraine. Thank you, Trish. Brilliant. We're so pleased that you're happy to come on and talk about sex because there are a lot of physical, hormonal and emotional reasons why sex might not be what it used to be for a lot of women in midlife. Um, So I thought it'd be interesting to start maybe with some of the physical things. And can you Hmm. talk us through some of the common issues that you see in patients our age that they might be having around sort of uh, vaginal health or sexual intercourse?
0: I think, first of all, a lot of women at this point in life are just tired. So, you know, when you're tired, you don't really feel up for it. But then the physical changes that occur with hormones are, you know, outwardly women put on weight. You know, their hair changes, their skin changes, but also, you know, their vagina changes. It becomes dry. Um, you know, I often hear women talking about sex in a way that is like shards of glass because they, they lose that sort of uh, nice slide and glide action from lubrication. So there's a number of factors, physical and psychological. You know, if you don't like your body, if you don't like the way you look in the mirror, then you're really not going to feel sexy in the bedroom. What Mm -hmm. happens to your pelvic floor? Oh, well, you know, with the oestrogen going, um, sort of nose diving, then those muscles become weak you know, during life, you know, many of us may have had children, that's going to have put pressure on our pelvic floor muscles. And also weight gain also puts a strain on your pelvic floor. So those hormonal changes, along with those other aspects of life and aging in itself, makes that um, hammock of pelvic floor a little bit saggier. What do you do?
1: Do you go to your GP and say, it's just, you know, there's something not right down there.
0: I don't know what to do about it. How do you ask for help? Well, I think a lot of women, they think there's an element of acceptance. We're just getting old. But, you know, some of the symptoms to look at, for for example, are if you cough, sneeze, you leak, you may feel a dragging sensation down there. You may just feel things aren't quite in place. You may even feel something coming out, you know, that's prolapse for you. So um, what I would say is just go to your GP and say, look, I'm having to get up in the night frequently or I can't hold my wee in. When I cough and sneeze, I'm leaking. Some women, even during sex, end up peeing. Or they can physically say it just feels like there's something down there, something's dragging down there. And so the GP, um, what I expect they would do is to do an examination. And that examination entails just having a look, then doing an internal, which is... Popping your fingers as a GP, you know, you pop your fingers inside the vagina, obviously wearing gloves, and you may get somebody to cough and sneeze so you can see if um, any of those pelvic organs come down. Um, and we know that, that a lot of women Google rather than going to see their GPs about these things, but they shouldn't and they shouldn't put up with it. And what are some of the solutions, Shazadi? Pelvic floor exercises, and I think we've all heard about them and we've all probably tried them. You know, what that means is that. Um, if you think about when you go for a pee and if you stop your pee midway just once, and that's just to really recognize those muscles. Somebody else said to me, um, the other way of recognizing them is if you're trying to hold in a fart, um, which I thought was really um, interesting. Another
1: hobbies of midlife women.
0: Yes. <laughs> exactly. You know, that gas and bloating. So if you, you know, I thought that was quite funny in a way. So, so either of those means that those are your pelvic floor muscles and you clench them, you know, sort of or, or um, contract them and you count to 10. Now, if you've tried them, personally, I find them a bit hard, um, but you're meant to try and do that sort of maybe 10 times. And what I try and say to women is do it 10 times on the hour or, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, my to goodness. To get into a rhythm. Or the other way of doing them is that you squeeze them really tightly, really tightly, you know, sort of quick, 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 you know, sort of 50 times. Um, and those are ways that you can do them yourself. But I do um, often recommend a pelvic floor training device. I mean, one of the ones I particularly like is Pelviva. I'm assuming that's something that you insert into your vagina and do some squeezing exercises. Is that yeah. what well, no, you don't. No, actually, you don't have to do a thing. And um, I've got a little video on my Instagram about it. But literally, it's like a spongy tampon. You insert it inside and for half an hour, it will just contract. Um, it, it will do the work for you. And you do that every other night. I would recommend you sit in a nice calm place when you first do it if you if you're planning on doing it because <laughs> don't do it on the tube Trish no but <laughs> but, you, but you know they did the study up north and those women were go said that they were going out shopping in Sainsbury's and doing it but they may be hardier than us down here they're hardcore women yeah. but but when I tried it I was like oh I'm so glad I'm just sitting in a quiet moment of time <laughs> rather than doing anything so I think it's great and then you dispose of it and then you have another one um, and you
2: can buy those online or you have to get it from your doctor or
0: no no you can buy them online um I've got on my website um you can buy them through my website um which is really good and um yeah I mean I I think what, whilst we're at home and maybe not going out so much, it could be something for you to do is work on your pelvic floor. Um, it really helps with that stress, your incontinence. And maybe, you know, some of the other plus points might be that it might help with vaginal tightening a little bit. And if you have pain during sex or intercourse, are these symptoms...
1: All caused by the menopause is this kind of you know you're in a relationship you're having sex it's not great anymore is that because of the hormone deficiency and and could there
0: be other reasons that sex is not good I mean some of it is I think um, hormone deficiencies like estrogen will affect the physical changes like the um, sort of plumpness of the vagina the lubrication aspect but then that hormone testosterone also helps with libido and the um sort of strength of orgasm so you know sex is not great for a lot of women at that point because physically it hurts because even penetration can be uncomfortable and then sliding gliding you know intercourse itself is uncomfortable Um, so that's one thing and also psychologically you just may not be in the mood because your testosterone levels are a bit low I would definitely say testosterone helps a lot and the NICE guidelines does recommend it for low libido But the NHS don't prescribe it, do they? the problem. You have to get it on a private prescription. Is that right? Well, the NHS prescribes the male form of testosterone because there's no female licensed testosterone in the United Kingdom. If you go to your GP, they may, if they feel comfortable enough to prescribe it, prescribe your testosterone, which is licensed for men. So we know that there's some safety aspect to it. It's regulated. But obviously, they would give it to you in a much lower dose. But I think it's because GPs don't really um, have that understanding. And in 10 mm-hmm. minutes, it's very hard, I think, to unravel all of that and do a prescription feeling that you're safely prescribing.
2: Mm-hmm. But on a um, private prescription, there's this is isn't there, which has been, yeah. uh, has been titrated for, for women. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, it comes from Australia. It is licensed for women. Um, and yes, Androphem, I mean, that's the one I tend to prescribe in my clinic. But my tip for the top is if you are feeling that dip in your libido, come sooner and get treated sooner rather than later, because I find that women sort of more early on in their menopause process um, respond much better to testosterone I mean, feeling sexy and desirable at this stage of life is something
2: that, for some of us, we it just doesn't we don't think about it. Or it doesn't matter anymore. Or some of us really want to do it. How else do you help women rediscover their sex appeal? Is it just through HRT,
0: or are there other things? I do see a lot of women who sort of feel a little bit, um, maybe bruised um, for want of a better word. So we talk about that aspect of you know getting them back out there. One of the tips I say is um, if you're staying at home, sitting on the sofa, I think your self-esteem is just going to go lower and lower because a lot of women comfort eat you know, or reach out for a glass of wine. So going out, being social, being happy actually is really good therapy for you. Plus, you know, we talk about hair, skin. I had um, a couple of women who wanted to go through makeup tips with me. And I thought, I did (laughs) say, do you really want to do this in the consultation? I said, yes, and and walked away feeling really happy. So it's an all round approach. Do you talk to women about
1: masturbation?
0: Yes, so when I talk about vaginal health, orgasms are great for vaginal health because they improve your circulation, your blood flow, help stimulate those cells. Um, And you don't have to be with a partner to get those Mm. orgasms. So, um, you know, I very much talk to women about it, talk to them about maybe a sex toy, a slimline sex toy, because sometimes if you've not had sex for a while, the other thing that tends to happen is your vagina can shrink a little bit. Sometimes they may even need some local anaesthetic cream just at the entrance to the vagina because it can feel so uncomfortable for Mm. them, you know, um, so, so by numbing it a little bit with some lidocaine gel, actually then allows them to insert a sex toy or even before sex. Do you prescribe that for them then? Or do yes, do, you, do yes. women buy that? on Right. No. Okay. Yeah. And um, are women
1: in this generation? So we're all Gen X. You're a bit younger actually, Shazadi, I think, aren't you? Yeah. Do, are they embarrassed? You know, I used to edit Cosmo when all we did was talk about, all, and we had to put the word on the cover at least three times. <laughs> and we talked about masturbation. We always put that on the cover if we could. But I still sense that women would find that a very difficult
0: conversation. The answer is yes or no, because they're in a safe environment when they're there with me. And, and, you know, I think the other thing, the difference between a GP and me is that I have nearly sort of 45 minutes or so. So by the end of it, they kind of walk out being my my friend in a way. You know, we've shared so much in that time. So I think although we might have a giggle about it or they may you know feel a little bit uncomfortable, actually, it's put a number of sort of ideas in their head. One of the sex toys I have in my clinic that um um, I often recommend, which is a slimline one, which looks like two fingers, is Mystery Vibe. Mystery and- Vibe, your notebook. I've got sure. that
1: one. I've got it <laughs> noted. <Yep.
0: laughs>
1: you mean you've got it noted or you've got it? What are you telling me?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the, But it's good to talk about yeah. it in very specific no, terms because re-
2: I don't really think is. women do. And I think, Lorraine, your point about, um, you know, when you were on Cosmo and then all the magazines that I've been on, we all, as you say, always had um, articles about orgasms, fantasy, erotica, sex toys. And I just, you know, that's where women could read that sort of material in a kind of safe um, safe space. Mm. But I just don't know where women go now to get that sort of stuff without it. You'll end up downstairs hardcore porn yeah.
0: online thing which is a bit of a shame but well I can I mean, help you on that Trish you know okay I can, I can okay. put you in that <laughs> direction there's a lot of ethical porn out there because um you know a lot of porn is sort of I suppose not female um orientated in the sense of that it can seem that subjugation of women mm-hmm. but there is some ethical porn out there and Erica Luss Mm. Uh, Erica Lust she does a lot of this porn um and um i think it's called Else Cinema or eroticfilms.com and i would i would recommend it do you think women can talk about this with their GPs though, or is there no. something there's a massive
1: group of women who just, just won't, they'll be single, afraid to talk about it, not knowing where to, there's just not enough information out there, is there, for this generation. I feel like the millennials or generation below us, perhaps there's yeah. a bit more, they can access it easier.
0: It's a shame because I think you can have a real new awakening at this time. You know, a lot of women feel liberated or feel they've got nothing to lose. and I mean, you can actually be the person that you wanted to be, You know, all those years when I was in my 20s and 30s, you know, you always thought about 40 and 50 year old women in a very different way that, you know, there's a lot of negativity when we were younger about that age group. It felt so old, but it's not. Could we talk a little bit about
2: men because um, mm. for those with male partners, because men experience hormonal changes in midlife too, don't they? I think in terms of changing testosterone levels, does that, can that have an effect on their libido?
0: So I think men forget actually that, or people don't realize that men's hormones also change. It's usually not in that rapid way, but you know, from your forties onwards there's a, and particularly 45 onwards, there's a, a, a decline in testosterone levels men tend to feel maybe tired grumpy you know they've they can also feel a bit depressed and low and also the strength of erection may not be there and they also get erectile dysfunction and a lot of the time it can be um, also interlinked with other health conditions like weight gain and particularly men who gain weight around their middle they tend to find that their testosterone levels are are dropping you know type 2 diabetes cardiovascular disease so actually you know erectile dysfunction is more than just a sexual um, thing for a man you know let's think cardiovascular disease type 2 diabetes before we even go down the route of thinking this is just you know erectile dysfunction because of prostate or testosterone deficiency.
2: I mean, it can be difficult though, can't it? With all of this going on, sex and midlife can be a really tricky area for couples to navigate and to talk about, but it's really important to do it, isn't it?
0: I think make it fun, you know, like introducing the sex toy but, you know, between the two of you. It doesn't have to be, you know, on your own. And also, that the company that I mentioned, uh, Mystery Vibe, also do sex toys for men. One of my patients, she said that um, her and her partner have like a business meeting once a month. They both get drunk. And they basically lay it out on the table, you know, the things that, um, you know, maybe they want to try something different or they, they, they're they not happy about this or not happy about. And they both throw it in the mix. But because it's done over, you know, a couple of bottles of champagne, it's okay.
1: That's been incredibly helpful, oh, Thank, thank you. you for being so open and honest and um, factual and helpful. And I really hope it women take away that they, they don't have to put up with this, that you don't have to put up with these intimate. Yeah.
0: I mean, Compliment. sex is to enjoy, you know, it, it, and and it really does um, improve your own sort of self-esteem and confidence. So I often say, you know, enjoy sex. Don't worry about him, just in, or you know, her. Just enjoy it for yourself. Be a bit selfish. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Orgasms are good selfish. for you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Use it or lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much for coming on today yeah. and talking to us. It's brilliant. Thank you. So that was really, really helpful. Now, don't forget, in series one, we interviewed Susie Godson, who is the Times sex guru and has written much uh, about the sex lives of men and women. But she talks very well about the emotional side of sex in a relationship, particularly a long term relationship. So maybe go back and listen to that episode of Postcards from Midlife from series one if you want more details.
2: Rain, we both have boys and girls, and I'm sure like me, you've tried to be very conscious of how you parent them and try not to fall into some of those kind of gendered stereotypes of parenting, you know, with the kind of girls will be girls and boys will be boys stuff, um, which is quite difficult to avoid really. But when do you think you, you should parent them the same? And when do we need to acknowledge that their sex requires a different approach?
1: Well, in the people I've interviewed for the family column for the Sunday Times, um, the experts, there there are things you need to be aware of that are very different between the sexes. So there's a lot of risk factor around boys. So for example, they're nine times more likely to go to jail. They're three times more likely to take drugs. Um, they're three times more likely to be problem readers. They're three times more likely to commit suicide at some point in their life. There are some older studies which say boys and girls play differently and that girls perhaps are more used to using verbal persuasion to get what they want and boys might be more physical. But a lot of that is questionable now, I think, because of how those surveys were conducted. Mm. It's really difficult, I think, to generalize between The sexes but there are physical differences. Yeah I think
2: there's a couple of things that have um, kind of come up for me in this conversation because obviously having boy-girl twins it's interesting to see how they've both you know approached the different milestones in life. You know I was talking to them about it and they that one of their thoughts were well all children are different not just because of their gender so they needed to be parent differently to suit who they are. For example, Esme would be, she would have to be the first at everything and she would try and try and try and try with everything. Like whether it was standing up to walk or potty training or everything in life, she's really tried. Whereas Kit's just kind of sat back and bided his time and then just got up and got on with it with no no fuss or drama. And I I think there is a thing around mums and daughters, dads and sons, you know, so for me, I feel like I've got a much more intense relationship with Esme because she's a girl and having been one myself. I think I sometimes make assumptions that I know what it is that she's feeling, I know what it is that she's experiencing, and then maybe I try to problem-solve for her. And equally, I mean, I see Neil um, having expectations of Kit that he has of himself so he expects our son to be incredibly capable and Neil's brilliant at fixing things and he takes motorbikes apart and he loves cars and he really wants him to be like that and actually he is to a certain extent he loves motorbikes but he's not as probably as capable or into fixing things as, and Neil gets quite frustrated by that so so I think there is there can be that we expect them to replicate us in some way or be better versions of who we were and I think that in its itself has sort of gendered connotations doesn't it?
1: I think it does I've got three girls and a boy so my boy is 13. So he's grown up with three sisters, two older sisters and one younger sister. Um, I wouldn't call him traditionally male in his approach, but Mm -hmm. I've been very conscious that perhaps our generation, Gen X, have we come from a place where men are quite special because they get all the top jobs, they get all the best things, Mm. they they tend to do better at school or the, the narrative is they do better at school in the STEM subjects. Um, And I've been very careful to try not to make him feel special because he's a boy Mm. compared to the girls. And it's been something I've been really proactive about because I've kind of watched it around me. I know my husband finds it easier to be with the girls than he does my son sometimes oh,
2: really? yeah I think his yeah.
1: expectations as you say like, are, are much higher of uh, my son than perhaps mm. his girls and he gets an easier time with the girls because they let him off he's mm-hmm. they're not role modeling him so they don't need mm. as much from him so yeah. he gets given a nicer time with the girls and I probably get given I would say a much easier time with my son although he is yeah. much more physical that is quite common with most of the mums I speak to with boys. I have a friend who's got three boys and a girl and she says it's, it's been very physical mm. with her boys. She's had Lots to of wrestle wrestling, them in the city. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's yeah. just, that's perhaps hormones and yeah. their brain, their neurological development, but we shouldn't ever expect anything of any of them. They're no. very different. The context and birth order affects them. Their relationship affects them. Their family background affects them. The socio-economical group that they're born into affects them. So, you can't really apply generics mm. to it. There is a, a narrative that boys go into what they call the incredible sulk when they're about <laughs> 13 and they really <laughs> yeah. don't speak till they're yes, about 18. Yeah.
2: you lose your little boy. Yeah. Do you find that with kids? He was always very, um, you know, cuddly and sweet and lovely. And then he got quite distant around 13 to 15. And now yeah. he's just, we've got a really nice, relaxed, chill relationship, actually. And um, yeah, no, I think it's it's it's, work, it's worked out well. And I think, you know, what I take from the her, you know, boy-girl-twin thing is Esme was always going to be Esme. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> <It's> is <laughs> how she is. And no matter what I did with my parenting with her, she is, and the same for him, you know, they, they are these individual people. And I think, you know, we have them for a a very short time and hopefully if we've nurtured them in the right way and not done too much damage along the way, I I think we've done quite well. Right, it's tried and tested time. Lorraine, what have you been up to? Well,
1: in my new life, not going into an office every day, not wearing makeup every day. I mean, I'm not a big wearer of makeup anyway. I would like to have nice glowing skin. So this week I have called in quite a few, what I would call glow products. So they're either Mm -hmm. illuminators, highlighters, or they're primers that um, you put on under foundation if you want to wear it and make you look a little bit more glowy. So I tried... Quite a lot of products. I tried sensei one, the glowing base, and we will put these up uh, either on our Facebook group or on our Instagram to show you. And it's really good, but it's a little bit heavy. I tried this one as well, the NARS one, which is fantastic. Oh, that, that looks
2: empty. You've been using a lot of that. I've oh,
1: <laughs> been going at that for ages. Well, this the, when I started to run out of this, well, I started testing the other ones. Ah. Um, but this one is a kind of base that you put on the NARS one but my favorite oh and you're going to love this is the Charlotte Tilbury I'm with you there just so brilliant Wonder Glow It does what it says on the tin on the tube and you, it comes out and it's very gold and you sort of think oh I don't know about that I'm going to look like um, Kim Kardashian maybe if I put that on but actually it's just really great and you can just pop it on a little bit mascara, a little bit of Wonder Glow,
2: anything. Lovely. What have well, you tested? Well, I've gone a bit uh, left field, or should I say, champ gauche this week mm. <laughs> with my tried and tested. <laughs> I've been revisiting French because I, I felt like I don't have many regrets in life. I really don't. But the one regret I really do have in life is that I didn't do French A-level and didn't carry on with my French. Clearly, you know, the careers we've had, We've spent a lot of time in Paris. Yes. Um it's fashion weeks, we And I've had a lot of French colleagues over the years, and it's, you know, and I have felt mortified. Have you? <laughs> Maybe in the future. Maybe that's what I'm planning for. Should we We're try and test now. them next. Yeah, <laughs> we could do. What I did was I went on to BBC Bite Size, which you uh, did. What, that's why we go with the kids stuff. I know, exactly, but it's bloody brilliant because they have all the GCSE stuff. And I thought, well, that's the level that I got to, O-level. And I need to kind of brush up on that and then progress from there. So I decided that I would um, follow one of these GCSE, they do the different kind of exam boards. And it's so brilliant. I've learned how to say, je vais manger équilibre. Do you know what that means? It's eating somebody's foot. (laughs) I'm going to eat a balanced diet. You see, the oh, why oh, would
1: this, this? that be the first thing that you would learn? You want to learn, can I, I join know. your circus, please? Or yes, may exactly. I enter or the trampoline competition or something for the French lovers to come? Yeah, maybe. that's why. No, I am not wearing any underwear under my jacket. Anyway, you know, I, so I dress. thought, I,
2: what are my plan is to kind of carry on with this? Because the only problem with it is that you don't actually get to speak it. You can do audio things, right, you can, you can test me, things, Trish. but I can speak it to you. And then I thought I might phone up one of my old Marie Claire French friends and do a bit of parleying with them. And uh, it will be very sophisticated to be able to speak French. I feel so. I think so. It'll make me feel quite powerful.
1: Trish, shall we do some nostalgia noodling? I've stepped back in time and uh, rediscovered a pineapple and cheese hedgehog. (laughs) Do
2: you know what that is? I do, I do, but explain, explain. Well, you get something, it could be a pear,
1: possibly little toothpicks or whatever they are, cocktail sticks, and you put pineapple and cheese on them. And I, th- somebody had mentioned they'd done this for a celebration for their nan's 80th <laughs> and sent a picture, and I just thought that's absolutely brilliant. And then I remembered it was seen in the 1970s as the height oh, of sophistication. Cheese and it.
2: pineapple on a stick, absolutely. Well,
1: a pineapple, I mean, mm. how much must that have cost? So that led me... Onto Twitter, obviously, most things lead me onto Twitter because it's how I distract myself from doing any actual work. um Which led me to an account called Seventies Dinner Party,
2: <laughs> where I found salmon owls. Is it smoked salmon rolled up yes. into little? Oh, so made
1: into an owl, rolled into a thing. And then you would the, the kind of combinations, apart from making everything look like an animal, they would then combine things like mushroom and melon can you imagine oh no no
2: no no
1: no you could also
2: make banana wrapped in lettuce (laughs) why would you do that the the fruit vegetable combination just is not working for me can I just say so our parents must have been going around to
1: people's houses and eating all this animal shaped malarkey (laughs) (laughs) odd now tell me where have you been nostalgia noodling
2: well I've been to Yugoslavia which for our younger listeners, you probably have no clue what it is, but it's actually um, it was a country, a communist country that's all those states like Serbia, Montenegro, Croatia, and uh, they used to be one country called Yugoslavia and they're not anymore. It's just so weird Do you, thinking about the old French at school brought, brought me on to the fact that I did a school trip to Yugoslavia in about 1979 or 1980. Oh exotic. Well, it was. And why on earth? I mean, why did we go to Yugoslavia? Cheap. I've got no idea. Cheap, probably. It was my very, very first trip abroad, my very first time on an aeroplane. How old? I think I must have been 13 or 14. And the reason I remember is because I brought a skirt with me that I'd made, a pencil skirt that I'd made in needlework class. And I didn't do needlework for O for level. So it must have been pre that kind of fourth year. And uh, the skirt split in the middle of a day out the back seam completely oh, split no. walking around I don't, I don't bottom, even know where we went bottom, Bottoms, showing. bottom <laughs> showing but anyway that's where I went and um there was also one other I don't have many memories from that trip other than the, the, the split skirt and um creepy Yugoslavian waiter at the disco asking me to dance oh, yeah yeah it's always yeah. one of them on a school there trip is, in exactly, the 70s exactly. probably tried
1: blanket out of our memories so much <laughs> yes. was committed then that it's yes, absolutely not, not now. committed now
2: yeah. we've come to the end of another episode of postcards from midlife so if you enjoyed the episode please do rate us and subscribe via your podcast provider and you can also listen to the podcast on the times radio app so if you don't have that yet go to your app store and download it We love to hear your stories, so do keep sending us all of those, um, as well as your adventures, to Postcards for Midlife website or our Facebook group. And we'll be back again this time next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye.